Welcome back to the Scoop College Basketball Podcast. We have a fun episode today. We're going to have a debate night between me and Kyle. I'm really looking forward to getting into that. But first, we have some more to talk about. But uh, first of all, Dan, how's it going? Haven't uh, seen you on the pod in a few weeks. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's good to be back. Uh, good, good to see you and Kyle in the same Zoom room again. And it, it was also good. We, we got all the Zoom features working for debate night coming up. So, yeah, I feel like we're back in full swing. And uh, I actually was in the same building as Kyle not too long ago. We were hitting up CBP, catching some Phillies action, a Phillies win. So going from baseball back to uh, the routine of basketball, I guess, through summer. Yeah, Kyle, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. Yep. Yep, well... Um... I'm your host, Austin Getchy, uh, as I previously mentioned, joined by Dan Steengamer and Kyle Kerr. But yeah, you ready to talk some transfers? Yes, sir. All right. So there's been a few commitments this last week. The uh, notable commitment that we have to talk about is Javon Quinterly. Jelly JQ is going to Memphis, uh, previously Alabama. It really provides a good point guard option right away that Memphis could definitely use. So, uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on this? I know like the past few weeks we've actually talked about like, oh, he's probably going to go to Memphis, but now it's official, signed, done deal. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think it's the best destination for him. Um, You know, I I think if there's anybody who's going to get whatever's left of Javon Quinterly, I think it's going to be Penny Hardaway, Um, you know, being one of uh, the all-time great point guards. Um, So... Uh, no, I like him. I don't know how uh, they're going to use him, either as a bench point guard or he'll start. He'll, he'll start. Out and start. I, I think that, that that's going to be pretty wise. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to Memphis this year. Yeah, I agree. He's very talented and uh, have a little more freedom on offense, a little more, a uh, little less competition. To, like in Alabama, there are tons of guards in there. Uh, did Dan, do you have any thoughts about this uh, move? I know he's. It was previously yeah. at Villanova, kind of up in both of your guys' areas, right. so you're probably right. familiar. Yeah, well, so big, big, just obviously, I'm just going to piggyback on what you folks said. Big recruiting win for Memphis to sw- take a swipe from an SEC school uh, in re- in recruiting, and yeah, I think it's the best, best landing spot for him. I think every, I think he found his way, ultimately, so I think everybody, everybody except Alabama wins in the end. You, even Alabama, like, yeah, the, it, it, it hurts that it was late, but like, they're not really losing a starter. I mean, he probably would have came off the bench. So let's uh, take it for what it's worth. But yeah, um, Jeremiah Bembry, uh, Florida State redshirt, is headed to West Virginia. Supposedly, he's just like not that good. But uh, West Virginia just uh, needed guys and may got a guy to fill a scholarship. So who knows if he's any good. But I guess we'll see. And any thoughts about uh, this movie, their view? Solid depth piece. They just need bodies. Right. That's what I was going to say. It's like West Virginia could use as much roster bolstering as possible. Just as many reinforcements as you can get from whichever sources just to stabilize. And I know West Virginia is going to be a topic in a little bit, but just to stabilize uh, that. Yeah, obviously, not one transfer isn't going to stabilize the whole program in this situation, but better to add more, add more options than not. Yeah, and uh, we are entering the uh, back half of July in the portal. There are still entries being made, and notable one is Chris Ledham. Wow, 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 wow. From uh, Tennessee, well, he's from Harvard, committed to Tennessee. Never, never like played at Tennessee. Like he committed there this offseason. Like I was really high on Ledham. I'm a big Ledham guy, so he's back in the portal, which is is really crazy. Uh, earlier reports uh, said maybe he'd be willing to uh, 
be an NIL walk-on. Uh, maybe Rick Pitino has something to say about that. Um, yeah, but I, I really like Ledlam. Like, wherever he lands is going to get a huge boost. Um, and any thoughts on that one, Dan? I was going to see DeKyle first, actually. Okay, yeah, well, no, Kyle. we're a huge Ledlam fans here. Um, You know, like, I had Tennessee, like, top seven, top in the country like i was so excited for them this year that when i saw that news i think i just looked in the chat one day and i haven't been that active in, in chat so but then the one time i opened it up i'm like holy crap like what um I, it just came out of nowhere um and yeah st john's was uh, one of the teams that was in the running for him so um definitely could take a look at him um be a uh and i'll walk on like you were saying so um, yeah, it definitely changes Tennessee's outlook quite a bit. Um, you know, Tennessee was still good, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, if I could uh, say something on that, like I, I really, I really like Ledham as previously mentioned, but I'm not sure how much this like actually impacts Tennessee because as I had it in my depth chart, I had him coming off the bench. So yeah, like, it's... yes, he's he's really good, but like at the end of the day, like how impactful does like a good like six man? Maybe like for starter caliber really hurt you. I mean, they're they're a deep team too. Like, of course, not gonna, this isn't like the end of the road for Tennessee. No, no they will no. still be very good. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know they've decided Jordan James. They could probably start. So, yeah, yeah, good move for Ledlam to just pivot a little bit here. But obviously, timing is unique now. Like, is it that easy to snap your fingers and like could St. John's end up being? Okay, can he circle back to that and have it not be an awkward situation like passing on St. John's before? Is St. John's even in the same place where they – St. John's roster isn't quite the same as it was when they was first offered. So that's kind of my my question mark moving forward for him. Yeah, and as I – on the note to what I said earlier, like um, like he didn't leave Tennessee because he was going to be like their featured player. So, I mean, like how big of a loss is it really if he probably wasn't going to get diminished that he wanted? So – yeah, that's uh, St. John's really important. needs a four too. Like they do, they do. Arguably, be starting Glenn Taylor, so yeah, or like RJ. He's Luis, a big upgrade. Who, who are good players, but they're threes. And yeah, RJ is definitely play. a three. Yeah, um, so, so is Taylor. So yeah, but yeah, I don't think we touched on this one last week. But Texas named Corpus Christi point guard Terrian Murdix is also in the portal. Um, he was he was hurt at the end of last season, I remember, but he was a very good. Uh, point guard for them throughout the course season i think he was all conference like all conference defensive player or something like that yeah he he's pretty good and i mean not sure if he's a high major player but like anyone who gets him at this point will get someone better than whoever else i can get so any thoughts on uh him is he like yeah because that's the thing about corpus chris they have all they have some undersized players so i mean i think he's I think he's a little small, but he's also a point guard. So, hey, if he can defend, I mean, teams will definitely take him, even if he's a bit undersized. So, yeah, his assist numbers were good last season, too. So, he's distributor, facilitator, affecting the game in different ways. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, we have some high school commitments, decommitments, reclasses to talk about. Um, Marcus Adams has left Kansas. This one's interesting considering he was like already moved in, like going through practice. Supposedly the word on him is that he's just like not that good either and was not ready to contribute right away. 
I mean, this doesn't change my opinions on Kansas whatsoever. But at the same time, like maybe he's not really ready right now, but someone could definitely use him because he's like probably the best recruit available in the high school. I mean, he's definitely the best high school prospect available right now. So yeah, someone could definitely uh, use him. Any any thoughts about this one, guys? Um, yeah. So you know, there's teams that definitely could take a project big or project four. Um. I don't know why my mind just shifted to Georgia Tech right away, but um, you know, uh, just being in the position they are as a program, like they just need as many high ceiling guys as they can get their hands on right now. Um, and I feel like you'd be pretty solid there. Um, I don't know, that's just where my mind shifted. I don't know, weird, but um, Devon prior to uh Texas, he's a three star uh from twenty twenty four reclassifying. Not sure if he's going to retro or not. I would assume a retro would be likely, but Texas is also doesn't have a ton of players. So we will see. Speaking about reclassification, JT Rock, who is a four-star uh, big man in the 2024 class, is reclassifying in 2023 class and staying with his commitment to Iowa State, which has it's it's been a thing for a while. He's been uh, committed, but he is officially there. Uh, word is that he's going to redshirt, which I, I like. I like this because... If he's going to get a year in college weight rooms, he will definitely be way more prepared to battle down low in the Big 12. I'll just continue on here. Um, we probably don't have much to say about those. You were talking about Georgia Tech, Kyle. They actually got a guy. They got Ibrahim oh. Sacco, who is a uh, he's, he's, he's a Canadian prospect, had some other uh, high major offers that he picked up recently. So should be a good get for the Yellow Jackets. Uh Giannis Njanja, uh, he's committed to Baylor. He's a uh, JUCO prospect, uh, 2023 big man. Uh, in the uh, world of 2024, Isaiah Abraham is off to UConn. He is a uh, four-star power forward, a good get for the defending champs. Uh, FAU got some three stars. Dusty May is really starting to capitalize on the recruiting trail, getting Elijah Ellie and Ty Robinson, both rated as three stars, as previously mentioned. And Tyler Tanner, who is a three-star point guard. He is off to Vanderbilt to play for Jerry Stackhouse. Um, not really a ton of notable guys. I just list off. But like, do, do either of you have any thoughts on all of those guys? So, yeah, no, I've seen a couple of those FAU guys. FAU and Dusty May seem to target, you know, like these certain kind of players, these score-first kind of guards, which I love. Like, they can really shot create, and they can always create their own shots. Like Ty Robinson, I watched some of his highlights. He, he's pretty good. Um, he's a very skilled three-star. Um, and, yeah, no, it seems like Dusty May is, you know, his set kind of player he tries to recruit and – uh yeah, no, I, I kind of like the uh, players that he targets. So, yeah, Dan, Dan, yeah, any uh... – yeah, yeah, stole my thunder a little bit there because <laughs> we were talking about FAU bringing back so much of the talent from last year's March run and to have these recruiting wins. I mean, you would expect Dusty needs to strike while the iron is hot, uh, and he's doing so. So, and it, again, it, it, Kyle talked about it. It's fitting the identity, the kind of the mold of player we're coming to expect from the guard position at FAU. So I, that adds up nicely. Um but I do like Georgia Tech with Sacco. I do like that. I do like that pickup. Uh, I'm going to watch him a little bit closely here. But no, nah, FAU is going to be the one that stuck out to me the most as well. Yeah. Um, they got uh, Vanderpool as well. Yes, uh, David Vanderpool. Yeah, I've I've, uh, I've heard some good things about him. 
I know like Villanova was on them late. I don't think they ever extended an offer, but I know they yeah. were they were interested late, so it's a pretty big recruiting win. But yeah, he's a twenty twenty three, so he'll be there this year. Who knows if he'll play? But yeah, on to the coaching news of the week. This is kind of old news at this point, but apparently there's still some disputes going on between Bob Huggins and West Virginia, and that he should he thinks that he's still employed or whatever and uh still has a job. But this is it's just I don't know. He he just needs to leave on good terms, which this is turning into not so good terms because he went and meeting told his players he was not going to be their coach and packed up his office. And I'm not sure why he would do that if he still thought he was the coach. So what would you guys have to say about Huggy doing this stuff? Um, you know, I just think of course the first person I think of is Jose Perez. Um, so yeah, I think he, he was just so pissed off about the whole thing. And he's, I think he's even in the portal right now. Um, and he, he, even if Huggins comes back and he was one of the reasons that he committed there, like he's not going to be happy with the whole situation at all. Well, Hugg, and, Huggins uh, isn't coming back. Yeah. And then there's that too. Um, you know, obviously it would take so much for him to come back and all the formalities. Um, yeah. He, he literally said he was going to resign. And now he's saying that his wife sent like some kind of text to the university and said that it was through his wife's email. He's going to resign on his, her behalf and things like that. But nah, it's just an absolute mess. No. And we're way past leaving on good terms. Like just to go back to Austin's like, obviously it was messy to begin (sighs) with and it was hard to ever going to really be considered good terms, but at least. Yeah. West Virginia was doing him a favor in the first place, being able to frame it initially as a re- resignation, not like the- West Virginia had an overwhelming quote cause to fire him. Right. So like it, he was already getting a little bit, it's, you know, harsh to call it a gift. Right. But it was, they were already doing him some favors. And now my biggest thought in my mind, he it's not even a question of anything about Huggins viability going forward. It, he's all he's able to do now is undermine the interim head coach, Josh Eilert. So I don't, I just think it, the whole thing is the whole thing is kind of getting kind of twisted. Um, not twisted in like the facts are distorted or something like that, but just it's so twisted in that the hole is only being is only going deeper. But not even just for Huggins for the program he's leaving behind, right? Like West Virginia would love nothing more than just focus on this interim period, and instead they're wrapped up a little bit in having to answer to Huggins' claims that this is not this was never a valid or authorized resignation. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, you're very right on selfish that. and attention seeking, um, especially, you know, when you're the intern trying to uh, connect with the players, get them ready for the season. And then you still have to deal with this as a locker room and as a program. It's just it's so bad for uh, as a program. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Dan, you made a good point when like it, it was never really in great terms. I mean, after his uh, anti-Catholic, anti-gay quotes uh, on the uh, radio show earlier and then plus the uh, uh, drunk driving incident, it, w- it was never really good terms. But like you think if we just like walks away and just like just walks away peacefully, like in a year they're going to like honor him. He's a legend. But now it's just getting gotten too far. And it's it's really sad to see this go down this way. But. Another coach that got fired is back in coaching. That is Mark Adams. He is an assistant on uh, Michael Schwartz's staff on East Carolina. I'm a little torn about this because uh, 
the reason he got fired was not a great thing that happened, but also he's a very good assistant coach. He's probably better as an assistant coach. As we saw, he was great under beard and then just, he just wasn't fit for head coaching. So, I mean, I, I kind of like this. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? It's good for ECU. Um, you know, it gives them more of an identity defensively. Um, they're, they're a team that definitely needs to, like, you know, improve offensively, I think. And he doesn't really do that. But, I mean, it's a solid move. Dan? Yeah, I, if you're a middling AAC team like East Carolina, like, can take a swing to really improve improve the, the, the voices of your players here, and you know, every day. Um just mix up the staff in this way. So I think, I think this is probably like an ideal bounce back spot for Adams. And I can see the, I can see why ECU would be interested. Yeah. All right. That's uh, concludes our coaching news and some unfortunate news to report that Dick Vitale has vocal cord cancer. Um, from what I read, it sounded like this was a, a pretty curable form of cancer, which is definitely great news that there's a likely chance he's going to get through this and he's hoping to be ready for the start of the college basketball season, which is great, but he has, he has really been through it. This is his third time with cancer, and I'm just uh, hoping he can really pull through this, really get well soon. Uh, anything on uh, him? He's been battling this for a while. I feel bad. Like, it was, like, a whole problem the entire last year. Um, yeah, just, I guess he's been trying to avoid surgery at all costs and I guess it's kind of inevitable now. So yeah, he just got to, uh, toughen up, I guess, go through the surgery and see what happens after that and hope it's all better by the time that's over. Yeah. Massive get well soon. Godspeed. I mean, it's one thing to have, I mean, this has been over the course of years. Like it's, it's one thing to have a, it's, it's never easy. This is never easy to fight this, but, um, yeah, yeah. Just think about over time that his, his medical history and something that's uh now he's 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 gone through a lot to stay 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 as the face of uh god basketball broadcasting so i know we're gonna be we're gonna be rooting for him all the way to see him see him starting this fall yeah he is absolutely one of the legends of college of basketball and in any form really just not just a broadcasting legend just an overall college basketball legend but so really really hoping you can uh pull through this and that's good that he, it sounds like this is uh, something that is has a very high cure rate, very high survival rate. So really looking forward to seeing him back on the call this college of basketball season. Another get well soon goes out to Jerome Hunter, who is uh, out indefinitely, indefinitely with a medical issue, which is not good because when it says you're out indefinitely with a medical issue, indefinitely with a medical issue, and it doesn't specify what the medical issue is, there's usually something not great there. I mean, I'm not going to speculate. Uh, I heard that there's a chance it could be some heart-related stuff, which uh, is not great. But, I mean, I there's not, not, nothing official that's been released, so I'm not going not gonna to sp- try to spread rumors about what it could be. But dude, just hoping he can get back because I really like him. I really like Xavier this year, and he he was a great glue guy down the stretch for him. Musketeers really making all the right plays, getting getting some uh really translating into wins. So yeah, I assume he's just gonna try and get a red shirt, I guess, for this. So. It, it depends. I mean, there is still a while till the season starts. Like sure. we we don't know like anything. So mm-hmm. we don't know what the recovery, like 
how long he's out for. So, yeah. Dan, any any thoughts on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, obviously not not here to speculate, but just like the just the the fact that there was a, an announcement made about this, like in the in the dead of summer, like you it you you don't want to assume things, but you you just hope it's not something that's ex- exceptionally long term. But if it is. Clearly, you know, everything coming out of that program is that they're fully supporting him and as he's unable to be on the floor. So that, that's all that's all good. And and uh, yeah, not to belabor the point, but certainly I also echo all of our well wishes for him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, moving on to some uh, more positive news, which is uh, more on the basketball side, which is uh, Peach Jam. We uh, talked about this last week, but now the, uh, the finals have been over since we last podcasted. Dan, did you get a chance to uh, watch any of the games I did not get to see full games. I got to see Cooper flag highlights. So I think that's going to segue you into the biggest topic of discussion. So I got to see, I guess I got to see some of the peak moments, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that was the uh, big point, the uh, big viewing point of the whole tournament. Kyle, I assume you didn't uh, watch anymore since yeah. we had a lot of podcasts. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge high school basketball guy, as I mentioned last episode, but I, I, PCM is the uh, one event that you, that you uh, try to watch if uh, you have any interest in recruiting because it's the, uh, it's the main uh, AAU tournament of the year. And, yeah, Cooper Flagg, the uh, prospect from Maine, uh, yeah, he, he is really good. He uh, he is the best high school player in the country. Uh, he played against uh, the Boozer Twins. Cameron Boozer is uh, – the number two probably player in the country, uh, depending on who you talk to, but though they're they are up there. Uh, Caden Boozer, Caden Boozer is his brother who had a really good uh championship game. He's like five inches shorter, but really uh, made his mark in that final game. And the uh, Night Riders, which was the Boozers team, they were the ones that won the championship in U sixteen over uh, Maine United, which was Cooper Flag, and uh, the seventeen U, which was like the. Uh, the main the main event usually I mean maybe maybe not this year but see uh, oldest age group uh, team takeover won that game beating Vegas Elite uh, Darren Harris who is a Duke commit had a really good game he was unconscious from the floor in that game for team takeover and Duke Duke really got a steal on him he is he can really shoot the ball um let's see so uh, oh one more one more thing unless you you guys probably don't have anything more to say about the uh, Peach Jam. All right. Well, so yeah, yeah. So, have you? Did you guys uh, get a chance to watch Kentucky's games at all in the Global Jam? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I, I've, I've watched... seen this one kid. Uh, the white kid looks good. Like I, I definitely like what I see out of him. Um, I yeah, Reed Shepherd. Um, yeah, no, he reminds me of uh, Kentucky. Doesn't usually have these catch and shoot guys, so I'm like, wow. Um, he's you know, he's more in the catch and shoot guy though. He, it's yeah, been, he and yeah, game. no, I've seen him driving, finishing. He, he seems, you know, Devin Booker asked, you know, bag when I want to compare, uh, you know, how both they both were in college. You know, Booker was actually he came off the bench at Kentucky. It's what a lot of people forget, right? Um, so you know, obviously, I think Reed Shepard's going to be in a similar role, uh, starting that way. Um, so. I'm interested to see how he contributes for sure. Uh, Dan did uh... my biggest takeaway from Kentucky <laughs> off the floor was just to change up the pace a little bit. That the team getting to go visit Drake's mansion that as they're that. up in that way, that was looking pretty spiffy. Now it's so cool that Drake 
we know Drake is a legendary Kentucky Reds basketball fan. Let's let's have that reminder. And player. Uh, so, yeah, so much. Yeah, player, right? He was in the warm-up line so many years ago, the iconic video. <laughs> but so much so, he's such a fan that, I mean, he's still on tour, right? So he wasn't even home at the time. And he just has his staff welcome it's in true. the whole Kentucky hoops program. And I'm like, that is that is pretty that is pretty funny it's to crazy. see. And of course, he has gyms every day. He has hoops there for them to work. To work yeah, on. So he, he, he had like a talking. practice facility. Yeah, it's a whole practice. There, there are a bunch of G5s that would take that practice facility over what they have, maybe. So it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. But anyhow, that was uh, that was really a piece of work to see uh, online over. I guess it was over. I can't remember which weekend it was, but it was it was it, it was, was funny. It was this weekend. It's, yeah, I think it's still there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they played their uh, championship game yesterday. They won. But yeah, move, moving back to some of the on the court storylines uh, surrounding this Kentucky trip, uh, they they looked pretty good. I mean, there there were some. I mean, you don't really want to take anything from July like super into account. It's like July; they're the only team that we really saw so far in this sense. But they look good. Antonio Reeves looked really good. He was good. They are they are lucky that they got him back. Uh, DJ Wagner looked good. Uh, Justin Edwards had some good games, had some not-so-good games. Uh, same with Rob Dillingham. Uh, the bad news is Ugana Onyenso got hurt in a scrimmage, and Aaron Bradshaw was also hurt. So their their big mans are looking their big men are looking a little dicey. Adutheero was also good. He was uh could could be uh, someone that could emerge this year, but yeah, uh, ho- hoping we can see both those bigs in action by the time Kentucky. Uh, tips off their season i'm guessing it's nothing serious with onion so did some uh it's probably something that's kept him out for the rest of this tournament but yeah i am uh kentucky look kind of good which was uh, a good sight sight to see because i know a lot of people have been very critical including us about kentucky this offseason so good to see them um looking like they could compete this year so uh there's gonna be more about kentucky coming up austin right <laughs> yeah are are so are we ready for a debate night or any any other things we uh, have to hit on before then? Any objections? Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh Dan, I will turn the floor over to you. You can read the rules and then we can we can jump straight into this. Absolutely. Well, welcome one and all to the inaugural Hoop Scoop Media Debate Night, Austin v. Kyle. It's gonna be a heck of a throwdown. We are going to have the format 1v1, Austin and Kyle competing. I will be the judge with each topic. There will be 10 total topics discussed. Now, Austin and Kyle, in full disclosure, they do already know the topics that are on the agenda for today's show, but they do not know which side of the debate for which they'll be arguing. So we're going to really get to see how each of these guys can think on their toes. Uh, I will assign the sides randomly as we go uh, in the order of the topics of the debate. Now, each of our contestants here in the debate show will have two minutes to answer each question. And it's similarly to kind of a PTI format. The other side is not going to be talking to those two minutes by and large. Uh, and so it'll give me two minutes each for Austin and Kyle. After they've each presented their case, I will assign a point to uh, the debate participant. who I think had the best argument who won the argument or who, who had the more compelling case uh, for their side. And at the end, we'll total up all those points. Whoever has the greater number of points. Now we do have an even number of arguments, so we could end up in a dead tie, but, I think that we'll we'll probably have go to overtime or something like that if, if push comes to shove. But in the end, the winner will be declaim, be proclaimed the debate champ of the Scoop podcast, at least for this inaugural contest. So with all those ground rules laid out, topic number 
one. Well, I'll start from the top for this one. Can Purdue contend in March? Last time we saw the Boilermakers, they were heading home after losing to fairly Dickinson University. So for Purdue, in favor of Purdue, Austin, Austin, you believe the Boilermakers can contend in March. Kyle, you don't see it. You are thinking Purdue is not going to be contending in March this season. Take it on away with Purdue. Can we uh, get the timer going, Dan? Yes, we have to have Major League Baseball timer starting. Okay, okay, timer started. Okay, so we all know how Purdue uh, ended their last season. It was not pretty. Falling at the hands of Fairleigh Dickinson, and yeah, that that was that was a terrible way. They've had struggles for a few years, but I think I think that this year is going to be very different. First of all, the reason that they lost last year is because no one could do anything outside of Zach Eady because he he was so dominant in that game, and Fairleigh Dickinson was just putting everyone on him. Because no one else can make a shot. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer could not make a shot. Braden Smith couldn't. Mason Gillis couldn't. But those guys are older now. And this freshman to sophomore jump is a real thing. And those guys, those guys are one year older. And they they are definitely gonna like a lot of but they were they were good last season, but we see freshmen a lot of times kind of fall off towards the end of the season. And I don't think that'll happen this year as sophomores. They also added Lance Jones, who although had some questionable shooting percentages under a more uh constricted volume i think he will be efficient player he is a good leader and he's a veteran that will be prepared to step up in when it matters i yeah i think mason gillis will also get better caleb first maybe if you get something out of miles colvin he can provide a big impact uh that we don't have ce and morton doing but yeah and they still had the best player in college basketball one of the best players in college basketball maybe not ever but like one of the most dominant players throughout the throughout like our lifetimes for sure and Zachy and he is coming back like he's not going to get any worse if anything he's going to expand his game more so I just feel like they just took a step up with just getting older and that was one of their biggest issues last year they just their weapons outside of Edie were just too young so with they're getting a year older I think they have what it takes to contend and the, the, the game was also just like a fluke like they're going to win that most of the time and so even though yeah, that's uh, that's the timer. You you could have a couple seconds over because I I I I started you just a couple seconds behind the clock, but the time did go. Austin's playing it by the book on debate number one. Kyle, I'll reset the clock for you, my guy. All right, yeah. All right, no. So, but also good points there. Um, on the opposite side, you know, Matt Painter has been a coach who struggled in March for a while now. Um, losing the North Texas, and then obviously the last couple of years. Um, you know, I just worry about, you know, the blueprint that kind of was kind of exposed towards the end of the season where there was limitations is that you can be produced guards off the dribble. Um, you know, they're very limited defensively. Lance Jones helps with that, but it's still a problem like Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. Um, you just look at their bodies. You just look at their builds. I don't think they're ever going to be really even good defenders. Um, you know, they're pretty undersized. They're not that strong. Um, so, you know, I worry about that. I also worry about like the shot creation ability of their guards, um, you know, guys that can really beat guys off the dribble. Um, you know, lawyer is more of a catch and shoot guy. And when he's missing shots, he's really limited. Uh, Braden Smith is good off of screens. I'll give him that. Um, but in terms of like really creating his own shot, like I don't think he's that great at that either. Um, so, you know, that's the thing. Um, if you make produce guards beat you, if you leave guys like uh and of course, Purdue has, you know, these freshmen here, but 
what you kind of worry about is Matt Painter's going to rely on those old faithful guys like Ethan Morton and Kayla first a ton, which are, you know, in my opinion, pretty limited players. Uh, Morton will give you a lot defensively. Um, Caleb first, you know, it was, he, he was kind of disappointing for me. Um, you know, he didn't shoot it as well as I thought he would defensively. He's pretty limited. So, you know, I, it just kind of comes down to how much freedom will have, will Matt Painter have in his rotations? Will he be kind of hard locked to playing everyone that played last year? And uh, no, I just have my concerns at Purdue um, and uh, yeah, we'll see how they do, but uh, I definitely think there's some red flags for them contending in March. Man, timing right at the horn. Kyle, like walk off at the end there. I this is, So assessing the first debate is hard. It's hard to do. And I want to, I'm trying to give you each, like, I don't want to give the man who went first or second an advantage, right? Like Kyle spoke more recently. Anyhow, Kyle, you didn't attack the fact that Zach, like you didn't, you didn't even try to go after Zach Eady at all, which is hard to do, um, right? But yeah. he's my, great, man. I, what, what as I'm hearing you guys, about? as I'm hearing you guys discuss this, I, I remember thinking back to our episodes about Purdue during March, saying nobody wanted to shoot the ball at the end of the game versus FDU. It, the whole team kind of shrank a little bit in the end. Uh, I'll get, I'm going to give the debate to Austin on this first one. The team being a year older, I because I think that point, that point carries a lot. Like th- that might solve a lot of Purdue's problems, just having been through that. Um, and Kyle, you may have been too kind to Purdue. Like I, I, after hearing you, I hear the red flags, but you, you were, you were soft on them. A little Here's bit. the thing. I've kind of switched my opinion on Purdue. I used to think, you know, beginning of the season that they weren't going to be very mm-hmm. good, but then, you know, I learned yeah. more about their dev pieces, who they're bringing in. If Matt Painter's open to, you know, having those new freshmen contribute and take over where a lot of um, their upperclassmen kind of struggled last year, yeah. I think, um, they're gonna bring uh some new found energy. Uh, See, I, I do think they're gonna be pretty good. If you had zeroed in on Painter in your argument, I might have gone with you under the yeah. Heard Painter just being same old Painter, same old Purdue. That would have been a way to say, nah. I definitely should have. Not gonna go. There. But anyway, it was that was a great opening debate. Move. It was, and it, and I'm, I'm randomly ordering these topics, right? Like yes, we're going. Yes, ahead. you okay, are. You, you, right. okay. you you're you have full <laughs> control of this. <laughs> we're going. We're going crazy. <laughs> we're moving to the ACC. Louisville. Does Louisville have any hope this year? Such a down program of late. What's in store for the cards this time around? Austin, no, Louisville. Louisville's not not going to have any hope uh, hope this season. And I'll give the optimistic view too. I know it's not an easy one to cop. Kyle's going to think optimistically about Louisville. Yeah, the Cardinals. There is reason to be at least glass half full this season. Okay. How how about how about uh, Kyle can go first here? You, you oh, can uh, reset. The reset the clock. <laughs> we, we can. Just, I think we should just, we should switch off. What? We should switch off the leaders, I think. Okay, okay. Just to make it more fair. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll run it up with the two minutes for... Now, of course, I think Austin wants to maybe play it. He's he's trying to play his argument a little bit, but hey, it's... it's Austin's getting a Mickey Mouse win here. Whatever. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Louisville, yeah, they have a lot of guys with high ceilings. Um, You know, they have uh, the one guy from USC, I think this is named White... I don't, I'm kind of blanking on him, but he does have a high ceiling. They have a lot of raw prospects there. Um, Maybe not the best guy to develop it in Kenny Payne, but they will have, they will be in featured roles. They will get a lot of opportunities. And sometimes, you know, throwing guys that have high ceilings right into the fire brings out the best in them. Um, We've seen that with a lot of players 
Um, someone like Derek Simpson, I think, is a great example. You know, young, young freshman, thrown it to the fire, gave Rutgers great minutes. Um, obviously, it's a different comparison, but um, you know, you throw some of these freshmen into the fire, especially in a weak ACC. Um, definitely, you know, could maybe be at the top of the basement. Um, you know, obviously climbing out of the basement is going to be hard, but, um, I definitely think, um, they'll have a lot of opportunities to get good shots. Um, you know, and obviously, um, not a ton of pressure because, you know, they don't have huge standards this year, I would hope. Um, so I'm definitely, uh, still a bit cautious, but I think they can somewhat outperform our expectations for them at least. So. With time to spare, too. Kyle has time to spare. Austin, I'll tack on the extra 30 seconds Kyle left if you need 230. Uh, yeah, I don't think you will. Can that be strategically a thing? Can that be – Can that? but anyway, regardless, I will I will turn things over to Austin who will be arguing against, anti-Louisville here. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, Louisville was terrible last year, and the, uh, the reason that uh, – they're, they might be good if you were to argue that, as Kyle did, is because they have guys with high ceilings, which is fair because you look down this roster, you see top 100 guy, top 100 guy, top 100 guy. Trey White is a good transfer. But at the end of the day, like, is this really that much different than last year? Like, they had this talent last year. Like, Hal Ellis was a – was I mean, he wasn't a high school. He's, he was the number one JUCO recruit years back. Like, the guys that they have, like, Kamari Land was like – a top like 50 freshmen i'm not 100 sure on the ranking but i know he was like high ranked like devin Ree was like a top 80 guy didn't even play like the talent is always going to be there louisville is going to get guys because they're louisville people want to play for them even though they suck but that doesn't mean that they're going to be good like the guys they brought in like sky clark was bad at illinois yeah trey white was good as i said they got that juku guy who like did not really play in a good juco team and i don't know but um yeah like as I mentioned, like a few podcast episodes back, their best freshman is a reclass. Like, who knows how that's going to work out? Uh, Dennis Evans is viewed as more of a project, another player. So, and and the rumored Tyler Johnson is rumored to not even get into Louisville academically, which is crazy if you ask me. Those those are just rumors. But like, I don't see like where the excitement is coming from, considering this is not that different from last year. And Kenny Payne has proven he's not a good coach. So I really think this will be a repeat. Um, I mean, you still you still have that talent, but Kenny Payne has shown he can't do anything with it. And like, it's not like it's like we're a little bit bad last year. No, they were like terrible. They like they they wore the floor. They they were like, yeah, okay, you say like, oh, they're not that good, but they were like three hundredth in the country. And I really don't think that it's gonna look good even after kind of replenishing the roster with some new guys. Hmm. No, I really have to think about this one, right? You there. guys, are, I do, because you, you guys are really warming what? up. One of those things, like I'm being dead serious. Like I'm, I'm not just being like nice. Like Kyle, like it's a good point. There's hardly any pressure. Like after last season, sure. Isn't, isn't this a buy low situation, right? Like that. Kind it of is a little bit. certainly ACC, right. The ACC is not the same as. You can't as, buy any lower. You can't buy any lower. Right? <laughs> it couldn't be any. It could not be what? any cheaper. So I feel like Louisville's still going to have pressure on them, though, because they're Louisville. That's true. That's true. I mean, that's always going to be there. Their fans are yeah, very passionate, no question. That's true. It's going to be a lot of. It's still you can you can have a passionate fan base though, and still have low national expectations. 
And that, that's why I go with Kyle. Kyle tied it up. Kyle tied it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know Let's what? Go. Let's go. But well, well, well played. Well played both ways. Um, we're 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 off to a great start. Rip roaring to third debate of the day. Should Gonzaga seek realignment? And actually, I'm going to ask whoever argues in favor of realignment to specify which conference out of the Big East, Big Twelve, or Pac-12 which one Gonzaga should prefer. But um, Austin, go ahead and argue Gonzaga should remain in the West Coast Conference. Kyle, Gonzaga should jump ship and head off to a P6. And I will put two minutes on the clock. We'll revert back to Austin leading it off. Yeah, well, Gonzaga, like everyone talks about them, like moving to a better conference. But when you look at it, like is a WCC really like that bad? Like, St. Mary's is another like pretty consistent top 15 team, top 25 team under Randy Bennett. Like San Francisco was a top 25 team a few years ago. Like Santa Clara has reduced first round picks in back-to-back years. Like Pepperdine, even though they're not that good, they have like top 100 talent across their roster. Like Portland even had some, a little bit of talent. Like, um, yeah, like San Diego this year had talent. Like there is talent in this conference. And I don't think that like, they really like, I think, I think they're fine. Like WCC is a lot better than people think. Yes. I mean, moving to a power conference would provide them with some better matchups, but it's not like they're just playing no one all season. Like, as I mentioned, these teams have guys, they've been successful. Another thing is Gonzaga, like always like uh, schedules, like the toughest non-con in the country. And you know, when you play like all these teams in non-con and then still play a decent conference schedule, like it kind of evens out. Like, you're kind of getting a power conference look in a way. So I don't really think it's necessary. Like some people would like to see, like would I like to see them play against like Kansas twice a year? Maybe I would, but at the same time, like, is it completely necessary and a St. Mary's not good enough? No, I don't, I don't think that's an issue. Like I think what you're doing now is fine. And I, I know people like to say they aren't good in the tournament, but that's just simply not true. They make the sweet 16 at least every year. I mean, they made two championship games in recent memory. Like, it's not like there's been duds in the first round every year. Like they've been consistently winning the tournament. And I don't think it's really an issue that they're in the WCC. I mean, it regionally makes sense. I mean, and if you were to argue moving to Pac-12, like the Pac-12 has not been that good. And it's going to be even worse in two years when the good teams leave in uh, the USC and UCLA. So I think they're fine where they are. Like it's hasn't been a problem and it's not going to be. Austin came out swinging right before the buzzer. Kyle, Gonzaga, Gonzaga should bolt. Gonzaga should leave the WCC. Yeah. Um, so I think they're going to move to the Big 12. Um, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, the conference grind. And then you move to the best conference in the country for the last couple of years. Um, you're playing uh, even teams that, you know, maybe not this year because there's a couple weaker teams at the bottom of the conference. But um, you're playing nine to ten formidable opponents, and that's the thing about the WCC. There are some solid teams for sure. There's teams that are talented, but in terms of like teams that are actually pretty good, probably saying four. Um, you know, so there's around like four or so competent games, and then you know in the Big Twelve, you you got like nine teams, ten teams that are really deep, and it's just a really good conference, and let's just talk about Gonzaga as a program. I mean, they've been top of the line. Like, they have consistently gone pretty far in the tournament, even though they haven't gotten over the hump. I don't think they should just settle for the WCC. You know, I just think that's, you know, 
undervaluing who they are as a program. They should do what's best for them. Um, and they should really, you know, take this step up and prove all the naysayers wrong. And, you know, there's always going to be that Gonzaga naysayer crowd. Um, you know, they could either stay put and just, you know, keep going on the track they are, or they can really, you know, elevate themselves as a program, prove that they can survive the conference grind, prove that they can, you know, be in a really physical defensive conference and still succeed um, and things like that. So I just think it's, uh, you know, a chance for opportunity for Gonzaga to prove everyone wrong, but um, not just that um, to really elevate themselves as, you know, a program and, you know, kind of prove those doubters wrong in a sense. So I think they're ready. It, Gonzaga is in, a, is in a pretty good spot in general, right? After hearing both of you guys discuss this because they hold all the cards. They control their own destiny and realignment. They don't have to be at the mercy of somebody else in WCC leaving and destabilizing their current home league, right? Obviously, Gonzaga is the kingpin of that conference. Austin, I followed you what you were saying for sure. Like the West Coast Conference – Deserves a lot of respect, but yes. I guess the counterside I almost thought Kyle might say is like, look at what happened to the A10. Like the A10 was at one time not the same, like, but the A10 had like every year maybe four or five yeah. at large contenders, and it's not the same. Like it's not the same number of bids now for the A10. I, of course, there are down years. Is the Big Twelve so, like just inevitably way more stable in terms of competitiveness than the WCC? Probably. I'm surprised. You didn't bring up TV money, Kyle, because the Big 12 yeah, TV, yeah. I don't even know what the distributions would be necessarily. But in the end, this is a hard, this is a hard one to this is a hard one to go with. It's a hard one to go with. Because Austin, like if they is if they leave the WCC, does their recruiting like does that does that help their like what's your response to like the how they Gonzaga's recruiting could benefit by being out of a like into an industry. I should have talked about that. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think it really changes much. I mean, they got Chet, who was like number one guy in the yeah. country. They got Jalen Suggs before that. Like, they're still getting guys. They got they got like three. Of the How top much better can in the get, country? Right? So, like, you know, like maybe course. maybe so you uh, maybe you attract some more recruits that are more about. That's kind of why I didn't bring it up. Like, you know, like they they, really they, they haven't better. had a problem getting the best recruits yeah. in the country and sending guys to NBA. So. Uh, that's don't think that really changes you. Yeah. Man, I'm 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 torn. I'm torn. I really am torn. This is why you guys made a mistake making me the judge because now you have to make the hard decision. You have to be the bad guy. I'm gonna go with Austin and a switch back to this one. I think I mean because honestly, going in, I thought it'd be hard to argue against joining a power conference and really elevating your whole athletic department, right? But I think Gonzaga has the luxury, like after hearing you speak, I do think Gonzaga has the luxury of staying put and there isn't necessarily, the Pac-12 I think would be the biggest no-brainer, but everybody acknowledged on this in this debate, the Pac-12 is going to be not as strong at all. So in lieu of that, really Gonzaga has the luxury of waiting it out a little bit and not necessarily jumping this round. Because the Big 12 I, doesn't make the most sense geographically. So yeah, I yeah. I can't really debate here. Right, right, you're playing West Virginia, you're playing West Virginia on occasion. Right. UCF. <laughs> <laughs> cross country yeah man that was a anyway i love that topic guys you guys know if but the pac-12 was stronger i right. really could have had yeah. well so the flip side of that is you could see gonzaga entering the pac-12 and immediately being just as towards the top as it is in the wcc like they'll just have like no comp that's the problem. yeah i mean right. i mean the thing is like if they were to move like and that's usc <laughs> and usually already gone by this point like is Arizona really like that much better than St. Mary's? Like, yeah, they're better, but like, at what point does it actually? You're in, you're out. Let's think. Like, are they going to be? 
better than St. Mary's by that much. Like, I don't know. One thing I thought, Kyle, you might mention is non-conference scheduling. It has to be a pain, a little bit of a pain. Like scheduling non-conference games for all, it's like such a such a. Of course, Gonzaga has a big cachet, and everybody wants to play Gonzaga, and it helps their strength of schedule and things like that. But it's got to be a pain in the rear to schedule all those marquee non-conference games. Like think about how much easier it would be to for the coaching staff at Gonzaga to just be able to rely on a Big Twelve schedule that is year in and year out going to supply plenty of really good quadrant games, as opposed to having to year over year go through the effort of scheduling at that level in non-conference. But anyhow, it's, it's we'll, we'll move forward into back on the floor. And we were talking about the Pac-12. So who will win the Pac-12 without Gonzaga present? The Pac-12, as it is currently constructed, will it be Arizona or USC? Those are the top two Pac-12 contenders we'll be debating. Are we going on behalf of Arizona? Kyle, go for the Wildcats. And for USC, Austin, the, the more of maybe the, the young, hot, the kind of hot shot team possibly coming into the uh, Pac-12 season. And so that will be our Pac-12 debate in terms of on the floor, getting back on the court. Kyle, you can lead us off with Zona. I'm sorry to be saying bear down here. Yeah, so um, Arizona's got a lot of talent, like um, a lot of talent that, you know, I think a lot of people aren't talking about. They got some really good overseas bigs um, and overseas guys that, you know, obviously I don't know by name, but um, they're going to really contribute this year. Obviously, a lot of people are talking about UCLA's overseas guys. Arizona's gotten a couple themselves. Um, but I want to focus in on Tommy Lloyd and how good he's been these first two years. Um, just an absolutely elite coach um, on both ends. Um, he's pretty good defensively, especially on the interior. Obviously, uh, perimeter defense has been on and off, but they do have uh, Cedric Henderson steal. Um, so, you know, they obviously don't have, you know, the best. Uh, perimeter defense year in year out but they also have Nemhard um as well so um I just think you know they're a really talented group and obviously Kylan Boswell is going to be awesome like he's as close to a breakout player as you can you can find um as a lock so obviously there's that um and you know obviously compared to Andy Enfield like Tommy Lloyd is a much better offensive coach. Um, you know, Tommy Lloyd is definitely uh, has uh, more consistent success. Um, Enfield's been very on and off, and really the only successful season he had was on the coattails of Evan Mobley and a really talented group like that. So, um, yeah, I just – if there's someone who's going to get the most out of their roster, it's going to be Tommy Lloyd, and I just I really worry about – and field underachieving like I think he kind of has recently so um yeah no that's where I think Arizona could definitely have an advantage here Ooh, we really started taking shots at the USC I go to the, at the end there it sets up it tees up Austin for his response here on behalf of the USC Trojans right. we're having a brief clock malfunction <laughs> too here we go Austin not gonna false start you all right. Well, first off, I want to make the point that Kyle said that Arizona has Cedric Henderson, which they do not, and they do not have Nemhard either. So he he's just making up stuff at this point. But to uh, go go back on his point about Enfield not being that good, I actually agree with that. Enfield is just like a pretty mid coach, pretty mediocre. However, the one year that he was not a mediocre coach is when he had the number one recruit in the country, and what did they do that year? They made the Elite Eight. And guess who they have this year? They have the number one recruit in the country in Isaiah Collier. 
And combined, like, this backcourt is, like, really good. They have Boogie Ellis, who is probably one of the best players in the Pac-12, was one of the best players in the Pac-12 last season. And th- those two really form a duo, not to even mention Bronny James, who is a uh, really guy that impacts winning right away. Like, he's obviously the big name, but I think he can really be a really good glue guy. Kobe Johnson's good. They have some breakout big candidates like Vinci Wuchukwu. Uh, Josh Morgan is a bit of an older guy, not really breakout, but he's really steady defensively, can really protect the rim. Can Johnny Wright maybe get something out of? And this team is just more talented. Like, there's just like, I mean, Arizona has Caleb Love. Like, who knows how that'll go? Like, I would much rather have like Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis. And yeah, like, Tommy Lloyd is a great coach, but when Andy Enfield has this much talent, he is also a good coach. Like sometimes you just need a talent and it'll all click together. And like, he's not a bad coach, but like just elevates it so much when you have someone like Collier running the show. Yeah. The, this is one of the best backcourts probably in the country. And the front court is like filled with breakout candidates. Kobe Johnson's a really good, I don't even know if I call him a glue guy or just like really good player in general. But yeah, like Vinci Wuchuku had a heart issue last year, so he didn't even play really to start the season. But when he came back, he showed some flashes. So I, I just think there's just so much talent on this team. And when Indy Infield is number one recruit in the country, he can do some damage. Dang, I do have to roll with Austin on this one. <laughs> like, Please do. Just, just the, just the, <laughs> I love USC this year, so yeah, it was really tough. It's hard. It's hard. Just the acknowledgement, too, that like you – Austin pretty much in the first few seconds like yeah the coach isn't great but it, the play when he when he does yeah have when he has talent he it. has produced no question yeah. even at Florida Gulf Coast when they had a really talented yeah. roster there they really did damage like yeah no USC SoCal SoCal basketball a little bit of a renaissance it's here. gonna be fun to see hopefully fans actually yeah. uh, show right. up well, right. right. Well, you know, I mean, USC I don't think doesn't really get turnout. So we'll see. Will Will the Clippers really be moving the needle? Can they? I see the Lakers are their own little. And I just to make a, the LA basketball market like the Lakers are going to be untouchable. Maybe the Clip. You know, are the Clippers really going to be worth watching? Maybe go ESPN is going to be all over and... USC this year because of Bronny. Oh yeah, I kind of oh, yeah. like to see it. You know, USC basketball needs more publicity. Like they need more fans showing up. Like they're going to have gonna some be... fans showing up this year. I hope so. Like <laughs> every game should be sold out. Like. If it's not oh, a problem, it probably will. Well, I, I want to see, I want to see Braun courtside because, of course, Braun when he was coaching, he hit the, the clip of him coaching up, the, coaching the on the sideline. Yeah, yeah look, look, coach, that was pretty good. I'm into that. I, I forgot love, to really. mention that in the uh, Peach Jam storylines. Right. Well, LeBron, LeBron would be. An We're not ESPN here, you know. LeBron is in, uh, in <laughs> yeah. every storyline. I'm here. Well, I'm going to make him in every story. LeBron would be an electric college coach. He would be though. <laughs> he would he, be. He would. He would probably would, be better uh, than Dion in college football. He would be he would be bigger than Dion in college football for sure. You, oh, it's LeBron. Yeah. Anyhow, anyhow, that's a different debate. That's a different topic. <laughs> but I'd, I'd love to go with teams head to head again as we switch over to maybe outside of what would people call, would call the power realm over at FAU and Memphis. Those two are some pretty high profile programs outside of maybe the beaten path more historically. Who will be better between the two of them, Florida Atlantic or Memphis? Kyle, you want to take on Florida Atlantic for your side? No, let's let's flip here. Let's flip here. Because we're actually very split on this. Give me Memphis. Give him Memphis. Memphis? I do. I I legitimately thought you were on FAU. And no. I'm supposed to finally assign them, so I'm not. I'm not stepping out of turn here. But take is this the one topic? This will be a really good debate if I have Memphis. Auto, and auto, you want to take it? Take it on yourself, Kyle. Take Memphis, <laughs> Austin, Austin. Right. 
roll with Boca Raton here. And, you can go uh, first. Kyle, yeah, you, yeah, Kyle, you're, you're, are you up first, Kyle? No, I'm up first. He's up first. This, up this first. is the odd numbered one. Here we go. Odd numbered one. Here we go, Austin. You are leading three to one as you get underway here. All right. So it, it, if FAU was obviously one of the biggest storylines of last year. They made the final four and they were consistently good the whole season. Like they only lost like two, three games. Uh, they they were had the most wins in college basketball, and then none that was a fluke. And I don't think debating inside would be a fair point. But Memphis, Memphis, obviously was good last year. Who cares about last year? They don't have the same team at all. But they they I'm not going to argue that this team like might be more Memphis might be more talented, but they have no returning players aside of Jaden Hardaway, who is like just whatever. So even though like the talent might be more, FAU has chemistry, which has already been shown how good their chemistry is. They ran it all the way to a final four. Like maybe it's not the most talented, like top final four team of all time, but they were able to play like a team and make it there. And I just don't know that I see this happening with Memphis. Like for starters, like they have some talented guys like David Jones. Like, I don't know if David Jones can be an impactful winning player. He sure hasn't so far in his career. Like, Yes, maybe Javon Quinelli is better than FAU's guards, but like at what point like does like talent matter over how good they play together as a team? And yeah, it just goes back to like you experience wins in college basketball. And Memphis has almost even though they're old, DeAndre Williams might come back, but I'm not counting him back right now because he hasn't got his waiver back. So I, I think FAU is better because they just have they, they've been there with the exact same team and they've proven that they can be the most winning team in college basketball with this team. And they just, they just, uh, yeah, it's gonna, just gonna end it there. But yeah, I, I really like what Dusty May has been building. I think they're really the team to be in the AAC. Getting the clock set for Kyle. Kyle is more than ready to vouch for Memphis on this one. Yeah. Um, and it really just starts with, how much I love Jordan Brown. Like, I think Jordan Brown's literally been an NBA player or an NBA caliber player for the last, like, year or two. Like, he's an extremely skilled big man. He's physical. He can score from the mid-range very well. He's really good down low. Um, They got guys like Jonathan Pierre um, from the Chuko slash D2 level who's going to – I've heard really good things about really hard worker – um, and I think again, like if they're going to get anything out of JQ with, uh, that they have, that he has left, um, Penny Hardaway is going to get it out of him. Now, is this a team that's going to click right away? Probably not. Um, but, um, it's a long season in college basketball. Right. And I think by February and March, like they can start to really gel and really click. And, you know, there's something to be said about these teams with these storylines it's hard to duplicate it in back-to-back years, right? If there is a team that's going to do it, it's FAU, 100%. I'm not going to disagree with that. But right to a T, you know, right back to the Final Four, especially these teams faced each other head-to-head last year, right? And the revenge arc in college basketball, there is truth to it, right? Like, if these teams are going to be jawing at it all year, like Memphis more than has a chip on their shoulder with how that game ended last year, Right. And they honestly, to me, like should have won that game. Like, so um, there's that. Um, And obviously uh, they won't need to be any more fired up than they already are. Um, So and I think guys like David Jones as well, like 
they're in perfect situations for them to succeed. If he's anything left to give to the table and to really like turn around his college career, he's going to do it with Memphis in a low pressure role, like where he doesn't need to do a ton. Right. So um, Memphis has a lot of guys uh, that they can rely on. Um, maybe a little shallow at the guard position, but um, again, they have guys like JQ um, and Pierre and David Jones. So, Man, I love, I love, I love comparing these teams because of the, the history too, and the revenge arc. Kyle, the revenge arc. I love. I eat that up. Eat up all that. Eat up all that drama. I, I think Kyle. I think Kyle did follow through on his argument here. I'm gonna go, Kyle. Move it to three to two. Um, but Florida Atlantic's a hard, a hard team to are debate against too. I mean, Florida of Atlantic. Of course, I love FAU, man. And FAU is like my wise, favorite Cinderella team recently. Yeah. Like guard I love versus guards, you give it to FAU, right? So at least right now, in a way. But. I, I'm, if there I'm, is a place where Memphis is going to have their way, it's going to be down low. Like, I, I like Flat Golden. I do. Um, yeah. But um, guarding someone like Jordan Brown, dude, I watch everybody in the Sun Belt try to do it. I watch people in the Power Five conferences trying to do it. <laughs> it's hard as shit, dude. <laughs> like, no, it's DeAndre it's, was great too, of course. But, um, you know, Jordan Brown's more of a low post big. Like, he's going to really try and torture you down low and that's something where i think vlad golden could struggle a little bit so well we're gonna see we're gonna see who's it's gonna be so fun to see man oh my gosh it's gonna be it's gonna be good stuff i'm gonna switch things over to big 10 country should we should we really just flip it around to big 10 transfers kalel Ware or aj store each of them entering the big 10 from out of conference now kalel Ware heading to indiana by way of oregon and coming over to wisconsin from st john's it's aj store and each of these transfers with a big name coming in, big pedigree in store. He had interest from over 30 schools, but only took an official visit to Wisco. And now he's going to be a Badger. Do you guys have a preference on who you debate here? Or, no, uh, I have both sides ready. I have both sides ready for this too. I think this could be a coin toss. Okay, we go back to a coin toss. With that coin toss, we'll go with Kalel Ware on the way of Austin. I'm just going left to right as I see it. Austin's on my left as I see my screen. So Kalel Ware. Uh, will be better. Austin says Kalel Ware would be better. And A.J. Store, Kyle sees A.J. Store uh, working out better over at Wisconsin. All right, yeah, so uh, I'll start, right? Um, So, yeah, with Kalel Ware, again, all the potential in the world, you know, obviously was a huge prospect at Oregon. It was supposed to be like an NBA draft pick or whatever. But, you know, what it comes down to guys that have talent, what matters is do you want it? Like, do you have motor? Um, you know, do you have desire to really be good? Right. And it just seemed like last year, his motor and his body language was so terrible. Of course, you know, obviously Oregon was a mess and they were banged up and stuff. So, but again, like, I just think his game, he settles for way too many jump shots. Like he's not, um, physical enough in the post. Um, and the big 10 is a physical league. So I just don't see him really, um, you know, there's a lot of good bigs in this conference, there's a lot of physical bigs in this conference. It's going to be hard for him to dominate down low. And I just see him, you know, settling for a lot of jumpers again. And I don't know if that's best for Indiana, if he's just out on the perimeter, um, you know, just chucking up jump shots. Like he can hit some of them, but like he wasn't really efficient last year in that role. And I just think AJ store, um, you know, again, a guy I loved at St. John's, I hope St. John's could have kept him. Obviously, the one knock is how is he going to fit in guard system? But 
if they use store as like a primary ball handler and Chucky was a great three point shooter last year, like 42%, like most of the year. So if they play Chucky, like on the perimeter in a catch and shoot role, um, I think it's going to work so well. Um, store can, you know, develop as a facilitator as the season goes on, but be that primary shot creator, which is something Chucky kind of struggled with last year at the end of games. He was very inconsistent, shot his teams out of games last year. And I think store is, you know, the more talented creator even now. Um, and I feel like he can um, be more reliable for Wisconsin down the stretch. Zoom clock is on for Austin on the flip. All right. So uh, arguing for Clell Ware, I just think uh, he's just the better prospect, period. Um, and one thing about – you obviously mentioned his motor has been critiqued, which which is a very fair point because it is true. But on the flip side, like, he was still kind of being mocked in NBA drafts, like up until he decided to just not enter and pull his name out into a transfer portal – you would think if it's like he really didn't have any intentions to make his motor better, he would have just went an NBA draft and just worked from there. But now that he's like coming back, like if he's bad this year, he's not going to be mocked. So he's really he really has an opportunity with Indiana losing a lot in the front court to really be that guy. And some reasons why AJ Store might not be uh, the guy that he could be, the guy that he has a potential to be. Even though I love AJ Store personally, and I was ready to argue both sides. But I don't think it's a good fit at Wisconsin. Wisconsin plays so slow. AJ Stewart can really score the ball, but like it's just maybe not going to work out because of how their system played. I don't see him being a primary facilitator. I mean, he did not have a, he was not like a good passer. He's a he's a scorer, and he would be used in that way. So he, he Wisconsin is not the best place for it's a guy that can just fly out and get buckets to go to, and when you have so much space, so much playing time, and he can be the guy in Indiana with some many questions surrounding that team. I think he is has a perfect opportunity to really break out into that role. Like, I mean, there's a chance he can be like a lottery pick if he's good enough. And I'm not sure if I see that, but like even his like analytical numbers were not that bad as at Oregon as you would think. Like he was a really strong on defense. Like even though he didn't get the minutes, took more threes than you would want him to. I think he's still a very positive impact player when he's in the game and his athleticism length skill if he can really tap into that it'll be special you guys you guys showed up on here austin has me reconsidering kalel like because he didn't go up entering entering the draft does that's that a good point i didn't year, see that angle coming like, like, like he, he was college, he was low-key yeah, kind of like mocked in drafts like before up until I mean of course like, no, I'm not he's all the potential it. in the world obviously NBA teams you know can obviously tap into it better than like a Dana Altman could right um so, <laughs> that's a good point um you know that's obviously always going to be there um but yeah no his stock is definitely at a really uh big place right now right? like w- will he have the extra drive is what I'm wondering Collab. yeah because, I mean it's, because... it's all about you know, again, right. does he actually want to take a next step or like he's got all the he's in the right situation, like Austin said, right? Like Indiana, he's not there's going to be nobody in the front court taking his shots. Indiana really lacks a primary shot creator to begin with. So like they're going to look for him a lot. No question. Um, but then a point I the point you made, Kyle, that I liked is also the physicality of the Big Ten. 
Like, it's true. Like, I just think he's going to be floating on the perimeter a lot, right? Like, that was primarily his game last year in the Pac-12. Like, I think the Big Ten is more physical down low, definitely. But, but so. he can play physical down low. He just didn't have, like, the motor to drive to, like, really fight down low. But he's, like, he's really athletic. He can really of block course. shots. Can... They're going to use him in, like, I definitely could see like pick and roll. Like I definitely see yeah. him as a good lob threat, right? Yes, like yes, that's yes, where I think he's going to be primarily used. But like as a traditional post up big, I just don't think it's his game, right? I think he's definitely a mid range to yeah. stretch big, especially in the NBA. That's probably how NBA teams look at him too. I guess this is hard to choose because I, I think Kyle, you put Austin as defensive a little bit, but Austin, you had a good response. So I guess I'll give yeah. it to Austin because it was yeah, a good I agree. I would have went with Austin. How he's going to solve his motor. So Austin moves up to four and two. We're through our first six. We're on the backside of this now. We are really flying through. We are in full swing. We love these player head-to-heads, and we can keep it going. Let's keep up the transfer comparisons trend, right? Over to the Big 12. The better Big 12 transfer point guard, Max Abemus or Ray J. Dennis. Ray J. Dennis to Baylor. Max Abemus is a Longhorn. I'm just, I guess I'll check. Should I, should I stop checking with you guys if you have a preference of who you argue for? Uh, I, like I, I don't, off earlier. I don't want. I don't care that. either. It, it was just that one thing. debate, right? Just that one debate. See, so yeah. I missed the. Don't know. And it made for a really good one. It did. I think <laughs> yeah, that's our best yeah, one so far, one. honestly. Um. So. All right. So Ray J. Dennis, Kyle, you grab Ray J. Dennis, Austin. Right. You can grab Max, and I'll put two minutes on the clock. All right. Well, uh, Max Aismith has obviously been a big name in college basketball for a few years, ever since he uh, led Oral Roberts to Sweet 16. Honestly, before that, if you were really a close-following college basketball fan, he led, he led college basketball in scoring, so he was really a name to know. But yeah, he's just like, he can really score the ball, and that's that can translate. Like, he has been good in tournament games, maybe not this year, I don't remember, they did not fare good, but like, in the in that year where uh, they beat... Who'd even be? I'm, I'm blanking in Ohio State, Ohio State, in Florida. But yeah, he can really score the ball. There are defensive concerns. He's not a good defender, but neither is Ray Jennings. Toledo sucked on defense. Like, that's putting it nicely. They had a good offense, but they did not have anything going for them on defense. And Ace Smith, like, he had less weapons around him. Like, he had, he he did have some real weapons around him, or, Oral Roberts, but Dennis had like JT Shoemate, uh, Cedric Milner, I think is a guy they had to uh, that were really efficient scorers. And Aismith really it was able to create for himself. And Aismith has been dominant for multiple years. He's been really good for three years. This is really the only year that Dennis has been like really good. And also, I think he's in Aismith's in a real good position to really be the alpha on Texas. And you, you could say that with Dennis, but I think. Aismith is a better scorer. Like he can really score the ball, can really shoot the ball. I had had the honor of watching him play in person a few times. He is a really fun player to watch, and I think he will. He is the uh, one of the best transfers in all of college basketball. He he can score the ball against anyone. So I think that'll translate. Um, defensive concerns are kind of negated with you when you have Tyrese Hunter playing next to you, who kind of flips the switch. It can't really do much in offense, but is a really good defender. So. I think it's just a perfect fit, and he's going to be better than Dennis at Texas. Yeah, so um, I love Ray J a lot. Obviously, you know, it helped last year with Ryan Rollins leaving to the NBA, kind of opened up his scoring role and things like that. Um, if you want to compare the two guys, like 
who is a Big 12 body here, it's obviously Dennis. Like, Dennis has a solid frame. He's stronger. And I think if there's anybody who's going to turn into a good defender, it is Dennis. Now, can it happen? We'll see. But, um, you know, they're probably going to need him to be at least decent to average defensively. So um, I think there is definitely room for him to improve there. And I think it's solidly uh, reasonable that he could. Um, in terms of, you know, just finishing around the rim and against Big 12 length and size, I think I'm going to give the the edge to Dennis there, too. Um, again, bigger, stronger getting downhill more, um, you know, again, Max Aismas is going to have to be very jump shot reliant in, in a physical conference like this, right? It's going to be hard for him to get downhill against, um, you know, the size and physicality. So I, I just kind of like that Ray J is really a three-level scorer. Um, Aismas is, you know, more of a three-point specialist and good in the mid-range as well off the dribble. But again, around the rim, I think is where Ray J can really uh, be really effective. Um, he's really a three level scorer here. And I also think like, you know, Ray J's in, you know, more comfortable role here. He doesn't need a ton to do a ton, right? Max is definitely going to be in a high pressure role right away. You know, going from the summit league to the big 12, number one option is big, no matter who you are. Right. Um, and you know, Ray J, you know, they have a lot of good guards coming in and their freshman class Baylor. So like, he doesn't have a ton of pressure on him. Um, obviously he's going to need to be, you know, a good floor general, things like that. But I think he's more than up for that task. So I just don't think there's a ton of pressure on Ray J compared to max. And, um, I definitely feel like, um, Ray J is going to contribute more to winning. And uh, I think he's definitely the better fit. So. Man. It's hard to say Aismas isn't ready for the Big 12, though. Like, I think I'm watching. Can I, uh, can I uh, make some uh, counterpoints real quick? Well, who was it? Was it Kyle who afforded 30 seconds earlier? Ended 30 seconds early? It, it was. I, I have to put 30 seconds. Who's finishing better around the rim, though? I think it's pretty obvious. I, I'll, Austin, I'll put 30 seconds on the clock for you, but only 30. Okay. okay. For, for extra for extra counterpoints. So, so first of all, you said Dennis has a chance to shape into a better defender. Well, the body might be there. Uh, Baylor was 107th in defense yeah, last year, and Texas was 13th. If you want to pick a guy that's going to fit into a program and maybe program that emphasizes defense, especially right now, it would probably be Texas. And Ace is like, he, maybe the pressure's on him, but the pressure's always been on him. Like, he's always been a number one guy, and he's shown he can be very good as a number one guy. So, no, yeah. Kyle, do you want to respond to that for like, yeah, of course, <laughs> you know, um, obviously being in the summit league where, you know, it's just a bunch of traffic cones is being, it's one thing against uh summit league comp where, you know, you're being a number one guy against the likes of South Dakota state who doesn't play defense. And they're like the second best team in the conference. So therefore on down, like the summit league was legitimately to me, like a bottom four to bottom five conference last year. And then you're joining arguably the best conference of college basketball that's what i kind of worry about but um definitely switchability defensively too is something i also worry about so yeah, the uh, mac like, did have some awful defenses nothing i mean outside Bowling of green State. is really it like that can compare to the summit the summit was like bad defenses top to bottom like it was every team it's the style of play in the conference, basically. Mac wasn't right. that much better on defense. <laughs> I mean, Akron was pretty good. Kent State was a good defensive team. Kent, Kent State sure. was good. But besides um, that, it was question. Yeah. No, Bowling Green was awful defensively. But. One thing I want to ask your both of your thoughts on comparing Ace Smith and Dennis. 
I'm so I was a bit surprised looking at stats. I mean, Dennis is listed, I think, is two inches taller than Ace Smith, but rebounding was a slight, very slight, like if not a tie, a slight edge to Ace Smith. Like, I, it's not yeah, the focal I mean, point. I, I don't really put obviously right. So start, you know, Toledo didn't, yeah, didn't really value anything on that side of the ball. There's <laughs> nothing to argue there, right? Like, um, I think in a Power Five environment, I think Dennis is going to rebound a bit better, um, but we'll see. Because that's one of the only their scoring is just. I was just kind of curious. If pretty identical, had, right? I mean, pretty similar. Pretty Ace, similar. Ace Smith is a better shooter, but yeah, overall, yeah. Ace Smith is better on the perimeter. I think in Power Five, uh, Dennis is going to be the better downhill player, obviously. So uh, each of them have that advantage. Dennis was also top fifteen in assists. Yeah, uh, no, it's an underrated George. aspect of his game. You know, obviously Toledo had a lot of good shooting around him, though. Um, JG Shoemaker, I, I love JG Shoemaker. He was he was good. great, man. Last two years, honestly. La- I mean, with Rollins, it was his best year. He was insane with Rollins. I love both. Of, I love both of your arguments. I'm just gonna. Yeah, I, no, I thought this was gonna, really. Good. I think I'm gonna go with Kyle. I mean, it it just just the swing of the argument it makes it four to three. Makes it four to three in our schedule, but I get it. Yeah, but sure. it's it's this is this is heating up. It's heating up. We're loving the player on player. <laughs> now we have an entire backcourt to debate. Really, to debate. Excuse me, to debate. That's like that. to debate entire SEC backcourts, but some remade looks for Florida and Alabama. So we'll get to not just one v one on players, but we'll go three v or excuse me, two v two. We got Zion Poland and Walter Clayton Jr. That's in place at Florida for the Gator backcourt at Alabama. Mark Sears and Aaron Estrada are in. Place Adam. If we're doing three on three, right? Add Griffin. As well, I misspoke and said three on three. I was starting to think of the three players, but Austin's Austin presented as two on two with two. All right, that's that's our one dude because I think right, yeah. was I saw three for Florida better than and two for Alabama on the dock, I think. And I was like, No, it was, it was two, oh, it's two on two. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right, that's cool. I misspoke. I'm doing a great job. I'm doing such a great job hosting and introducing the topic. <laughs> so for Florida. Austin, you want to roll with Florida and Kyle rolled Alabama, arguing Alabama has a superior backcourt. And let me make sure we have 30 seconds on the clock right now, but that was for our bonus time. Let's the zoom clock doesn't move as efficiently as you think it would. Now we have two minutes on the timer. And All right. Yeah. So um when it comes to Mark Sears and uh is it we're doing Griffin, right? Sears and Estrada. Let's just do Sears and Estrada. So yeah. For Sears and Estrada, um, you know, Mark Sears last year, honestly, like I was a very big critic of Mark Sears, um, not uh, last year, but really the year at Ohio. Um, and he obviously numbers wise, it doesn't really check out, but he really did contribute a lot to winning. Like he was a decent defender, definitely much better defensively than I expected. Um and then, you know, he was really good as just, um, you know, a pure PG. Like, he got guys involved. He ran the offense. Um, and he was good from three levels. Like, he definitely had his games where he was very large. And he had a lot of big shots down the stretch. And Brandon Miller was off. And there were some games where he was. So, um, no, I, I definitely think Sears um, can definitely even grow a little bit this year. Um, definitely has some room to grow. Um, and then we go to Aaron Estrada, who's just been – absolutely insane at the colonial level obviously it's a jump for him um it'll be jump for a lot of florida's players too um but i think if there's anybody who's ready for the jump like we even saw it in the nit last year and i hate using nit games but Rutgers was an elite defense and he absolutely destroyed them like 
Um, he made them look like an absolutely terrible defensive team. And I, I think he can do some similar things against SEC defenses, the way he's so dynamic off the dribble. He's so quick off the bounce. His shot-creating ability is is so good from all three levels. Like, he's actually a very underrated guy when it comes to strength. Like, he can finish around the rim, no question. Um, and a uh, great shooter as well. Um, obviously, you know, he's not the best defender. They're going to have the mask of defensive abilities with Rylan Griffin, which I think they can do. Um, but no, I definitely think Sears and Estrada can be a very dynamic backcourt. Yeah, so that is true. But one major thing that's sticking out to me is like how questionable the defense is. Mark Sears is really not that good of a defender. And Aaron Estrada is definitely his strength is on offense. And but but that aside, I think I, I just like really like Walter Clayton's on pulling like they're both. And like they're both, they they can both pass it as as do the uh, Alabama guys. They're both very skilled. Walter Clayton, Walter Clayton is like one of the best transfers in college basketball, in my opinion. I think he's tremendously underrated. Has even has NBA upside. He can really score from any work, and he doesn't have a weakness on the floor, in my opinion. And I think he's someone that can really transfer up. I mean, we saw in his games versus the stronger teams last year, he was still effective, and. Then you move over to Zion Pullen, who has age, also has size. He's like six, he's a six four point guard. That's gonna translate just fine to the SEC. I mean, yeah, you look, he has he can really pass the ball. Not the same shooter necessarily that Clayton is, but can still score. He can score on the inside, which is good. A lot of these uh mid-major point guards are more shooters. But yeah, I, I think it's just a the perfect duo to go together. It has a little bit of everything. It's Still not the best on defense necessarily, but I don't think it's any worse than uh, Alabama's. And when you talk about Aaron Estrada, like he was amazing at Hofstra, but we saw him in a power six setting before, and it was not that good. He was really a non-factor at Oregon, and maybe he's gotten better since then, but like, who knows? Like he was, I mean, how, how do we know that's really changed at all? That's what I worry about. I mean, Mark Sears was fine, but like, when you have less weapons around him and he has to do more of a primary scoring, I'm not sure if that's going to work. And I, I just really trust Clayton, especially to step it up and pull him to be a, a good point guard. that can do a little bit of everything around him. Shush. Hey, now, as I'm judging, you expect me to just ride with Aaron Estrada. Cause that's, 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 a, that's a guy, that's a guy I've seen way too many times to count, but Florida, that it's transfer class overall. We all are very pro Florida here. We're so. all very pro Florida. I also got a good draw with Florida. I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna roll with Florida. Um, I just I do like Florida's. It's honestly I do like Florida's backward a little more. But um, Estrada is not. I think Estrada the second time around Austin in the P6 is gonna like he's he was like he maybe it's because I watched him just be the grown man in the CAA for like several years straight. <laughs> and I just can't get that. Out I, of my I, head. I do agree. There are just but, some concerns based on what yeah. we've seen before and what we know. Right. Yeah. Right. Of course, it's, it's going to be that. Then again, I think Nato's is a lot better at getting guys uh, the best out of them offensively than Dana Altman is. Dana Altman's I been agree. a very questionable offensive coach for the last how many years now? Like it's been, been a little bit. I think with this point to move it to five, 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 three, two, three, yes. five, three. Okay. Well, you, Kyle, you can storm back and tie it up, which I, these last two topics, I mean, we're going to get into the big East, the big East at the very end, 
mean, I know that's Austin's conference in a way, in a manner of speaking, with his Creighton familiarity. But first, is Coach? Gotta get the Coach Cow. I, I mean, I mean, Cow's a Villanova though. fan too. I have so a Biggie's hat on, bud. Yeah, yeah he has a Biggie's hat on. But I'm talking about I'm talking about <laughs> being in the Big East. It's a whole different world in the Big East than the Central. It is though. States. And yeah. I know you and I, you and I have our neck, neck of the woods in the Big East country, but Austin's got his little Midwest lookout in the Big East. Anyway, look out! I love before, it. Before we worry about the regions <laughs> of the Big East, <laughs> Coach Cal, I can't. You know, I can't. Even if we all love the Big East here, I can't save Coach Cal for last. Is John Calipari washed? Was the question that sometimes we ask during the regular season, maybe a bit in an overreaction, but is he washed? Austin, this is this is is this. Is this topic that you felt strong? Did you want to take a certain side on this, or are we? Are you... I don't care. Whatever you assign, Dan. <laughs> I I've been on both sides that. of this, honestly. I was going to say, I make the rules. Certainly, Austin John Calipari is not washed. Let's be real; he's not washed. Kyle, he he's he he's washed, and we're going to start seeing it this season. Okay, so I mean, obviously, there are the concerns that it hasn't been that great the past few seasons. Like they had that one nine sixteen year, which was just terrible. Then they. Lost to St. Peter's and they only made it to the round of 32 this year. But I, I still don't think he's washed. Like you obviously look at his success in the past, but I think he I think he's set up for success in the future again with the way he's been recruiting. Like, even though this is a down recruiting class, there's still something to be said that he got like the best class in the country. And uh, I mean, I know you don't want to take too much from international early tourists, but they they look pretty good in the global jam, which was good to see. But and then I think a lot of people have in there that he's just like not been any good the past few years. Like they were in line for like a two seed when COVID happened. So that would that would right there would have raised a lot of debates about like, oh, he hasn't won forever. Well, he didn't get a chance to win with a really good team. I think like they had like quickly and maxi on that team, and they were really playing good towards the end of the year. And then the uh the nine sixteen team, that that was a disaster. And then the St. Peter's year, like, yeah, that was a bad loss, but like so a lot of people had them winning it all that year. Like they, they were not, that wasn't like a total failure of a year, even though it ended that way. Like, and Ty Ty Washington was never the same after he got hurt. So that's something to know. Um, yeah, that, that was just, that was just a flu game. Like that's sometimes those things just happen and it just lined out to happen that way. Obviously this year, this year, I mean, they were playing really good towards the end of the year. K-State was just playing a little bit better at the time, but like they could, Kentucky was another team that people picked to go on deep runs and, they, I think they showed that they could have had the ability to. And even in that game versus K-State, like, they were playing really good at the end of the year. And, I mean, you, you know, you, we know what we saw from Reeves in Global Dream. He was amazing. Trey Mitchell was a good pickup, like, odd pickup in a way. But, I mean, it's working out. I mean, I think Cal still has some very bright days ahead of him, even though there are very a lot of critics that uh, dispute that. Dan Kyle Austin did mention Tyrese Maxey's name, which gives me an affinity for his argument. <laughs> you know, we, we love Maxey. Cheating, <laughs> cheating. Yours. Uh, anyway, so um, no, when it comes to Cal, you know, you obviously got to think of Kentucky's obnoxious fan base, but as as, as you know, a result, you know, they, they do deserve to have pretty high expectations for coach Cal with the program. They are like, you know, they're obviously been a top tier recruiting program for how long. And, um, you know, obviously they deserve to set the bar high and, you know, they have not done that in a long time. Like obviously COVID definitely stopped that. Um, but no, definitely defensively is where I want to, you know, kind of go into it. He's just not been like, you know, the Kentucky defenses of years past. And obviously they've never been an amazing defensive team, but like they've been a real negative on that end recently. 
um, the perimeter defense and things like that. But I think another thing to really get into is uh, Calipari's just kind of refused to accept modern basketball. Like there's just been so many like settling for long twos, mid range shots. Like they don't attack the, they don't attack the rim enough. Sometimes they settle for way too many low percentage looks like the, the future of this game is shooting a lot of threes and a lot of laps. And yes, yeah, sure. We saw that against in global jam and the comp was all right. Like, you know, it wasn't an amazing comp, but like, we still need to see it in the regular season. We still need to see it against elite coaching and, you know, if they're just going to settle for long twos and low percentage shots, it's going to be a long year for them against SEC defenses and experienced SEC squads. Um, obviously, I think, you know, they're going to make the tournament now with getting Trey Mitchell back and Antonio Reeves. But do we really trust Kentucky with a suspect defense, um, with a coach who isn't really, um, you know, accepting uh, and open to uh, developing a modern offense? Um, and I just don't know if he's really the guy to get the most out of Dillingham, Justin Edwards, and things like that. So, avoiding reacting to Maxi again, I do want to go to Austin, go back to Austin's point one more time earlier. Austin, the 2020 season point is a good one, but also outside of 2020, referencing when Kentucky was picked to win it all and then didn't. I don't know how that helps. I don't know how that helps. I mean, like, like they were a strong team that year. It's not like that's yeah. those seasons were yeah, just like, terrible. Were. It just was an unfortunate yeah. ending with the teams they ran into. I agree. I definitely think people look too much on, you know, the tournament result and kind of writing off the season yeah. as a whole. I mean, that's just something we do as college basketball right. fans, right? Right. Um, yeah. You know, but obviously there is reasons to be critical, of course, for Kentucky yeah. fans. There too. are. This is a hard one for me to assess because I have a hard time with the premise. Like, I think the premise is like slight hyperbole. Like, it's hard for Cal Perry to fall so far as being washed. But I think the point goes to Kyle because the future of the game, like, I don't know how he gels with this, like, the future of the sport and the SEC. Yeah. The SEC is shifting a little bit. Like, Bruce Pearl at Auburn. Alabama's so good. They're like, in a really experienced conference. You know, that's the one thing that, you Texas know, Austin has touched on, right? Like, yeah. in terms of experience, um, getting Trey Mitchell back helps with that, of course. But still, compared yeah. to other SEC squads, like, they're a very young team. Um, and that's that's going to, of course, be hard with the direction college basketball is going in. I promise I didn't plan it this way or script it to go be five to four. One point, one point spread going into the Big East topic, which we have Nova and Creighton on, on the Zoom call here. Totally uh, not scripted. Which, right? But fortunately, just to keep it real, just to keep it clear, we will have a Big East team head-to-head debate, but it's going to be between about Marquette and UConn, the defending national champs versus the Golden Eagles. I love I love this one because UConn obviously just finished on the top of the mountain. Marquette, though, trendy team. We like them in the preseason. Austin and I did a pod earlier in the offseason where we were discussing Marquette's placement in a way-too-early top 25. I'll drop double check one more time. I'm sure either of you are happy with either team to debate for, right? Because there are a lot yeah, of pressure yeah, to these fine. teams. Yeah. Austin, UConn, UConn's going to be superior this season. UConn's, UConn's not going to take a step back after a natty run. But Kyle, the Golden Eagles, Shaka Smart has a lot cooking there, we saw. And they're actually going to surpass. They're going to surpass the Huskies this year around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So... There's a lot to like here for Marquette, obviously returning a lot of people. Um, obviously, they did lose Prosper, um, but they have a lot of good size here, which is something I was very critical of last year. They really lacked that real center, and I think Igahardro, or uh, however you pronounce it, is going to kind of emerge into a better center, um, and they have a lot of good uh, pieces there 
Um, and then they have some really good young pieces as well that they're bringing in uh, to help the front court as well. And obviously Tyler Kolek, um, it just he's just a winner, right? Um, he's someone who's a great distributor, can get their guards involved like Cam Jones. Um, you know, he's a great three-level scorer. And, you know, I think something um, that's kind of player that UConn kind of lacks, like that dynamic guy in the backcourt, you know, Tristan Newton's a solid player for sure. Um, you know, he he's not like the scorer Kolek is at all. Um, you know, he's solid uh, passer. That's where, you know, I can kind of, you know, draw their similarities. Um, but definitely not the three-level scorer Kolek is. And uh, I definitely feel like um, as far as backcourts go, I would definitely give the advantage to Marquette. Um, and then coaching-wise, obviously, yeah, Shaka has kind of, you know, underachieved. Um, but, you know, last year he was arguably the best coach in, in damn near the sport. Obviously, he got upset early by an all-time great in Tom Izzo. Um, but that was a really tough draw. And like I said, like, you know, these upsets don't make the season a failure as a whole and they massively underachieved they were projected to be like last in the big east last year and they were a top 10 team all year round so um they're very they should be very respected as well i know uconn just won the natty um but marquette is really deep they return a ton and they have you know a all-american candidate in tyler kolak Yeah, so th those are some decent points. I see where you're coming from, but I think I think the first thing you have to look at when you're talking about UConn is how good Donovan Klingon is going to be. Like, he he is he is he is also an All American candidate, even though he hasn't really produced that level. Like, nearly everyone hasn't been an All American this upcoming season. That's been making like or to, way too early teams and stuff. So I think I think he's ready for net. I mean, he would have been like a maybe a first round pick if he decided to. Uh, leave and go to the NBA this year. So he obviously has really high ceilings and it they've, they've done it before. So that is like, I mean, obviously it's a little bit of a different team, but like Danny Hurley has done it before. I mean, Shaka had that good run at VCU, but besides that, he just hasn't been able to win the tournament. Maybe tournament success means something. Maybe it doesn't, but that's something that you have to take into account. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Tristan Newton isn't amazing, and I'm not a huge Tristan Newton guy personally. But when you when you come when you put him next to Cam Spencer, they can. There's a good backcourt because they can both facilitate. Spencer can shoot. I mean, I just think like Newton's a good glue guy. Like people, some people overrate him, but like playing next to Spencer, I mean, maybe not Jordan Hawkins, but it's still like a Spencer was Rutgers' best player. Like getting him out of the portal was huge, and I mean, you have Alex Caravan can really be a good stretch big. And I, I just, I just worried that Marquette is going to have too much fall from losing Omax. Like he, he was like probably their best athlete. They're really, I think they might see some defensive fall off because of that. Whereas UConn, like UConn also has a good freshman class and maybe who knows if they'll be ready, right. Not right away or not. But I know a lot of people like Stefan castle, like this team, like it's a different look, but they've been there before. And I think they are, ready to contend again personally even though it's a bit, bit, bit of a different look they still have the pieces to do it wow finishing with a bang finish with a bang finishing with the team that i Rose think this argument serves another 30 seconds i think it does because i can't even decide i was going to ask if you guys could because i'm gonna put like, i have something put, i do want to i think we on. should do for the final honestly this is the final debate obviously of the episode Might as well right i'm just gonna put a minute on the clock and y'all can just talk at the same time just go All crazy right. go throw punches so literally 
when it comes to a player like Jordan Hawkins, he reminds me of like a JJ Redick, right? The way he comes off of screens, um, the way he moves off ball, like it is so hard to replace somebody like that, right? Yeah, it's it's hard to replace him. Like you you can't replace him one for one, but like as good as you're gonna get, like there's no one like Jordan Hawkins that was available, but Cam Spencer is a perfect and Cam Spencer can facilitate way better than Jordan Hawkins did. Jordan Hawkins was great, but he was like primarily just a catch and shoot player. Cam Spencer is more versatile, even though he doesn't bring the catch and shoot ability, yeah. but it gives you two point guards on the floor. For sure. Um, you know, I just kind of worry like in terms of like a number one option down the stretch, um, that you really wanna, you know, someone who's gonna be able to beat somebody off the dribble like obviously Tristan Newton is probably your best candidate I mean for I think their number guys one guy is Klingon or like Castle course, yeah. Castle maybe Castle emerges into that guy they can look uh, as him as a post scorer for sure I just always prefer the perimeter option for sure man but that that those, that extra minute was all dominated on UConn talking about UConn we didn't talk about Marquette as much in the end there was that wow I think I made some good points you did make Hawkins you know, like Hawkins is such yeah, a generational you, guy. Yeah. Like, like how, as far as college goes, right? Yeah. Like, how do you just not just fall off to some extent? But do they fall off enough to the point where Marquette will catch up? True. Of course. Yeah. That's the question. That's the question. If I rule, if I rule for Kyle, then we're five to five. That's, do we have an overtime? Do we we got to get the ratings you up. You just pick me. <laughs> <laughs> like no i i honestly i will go with austin i do have a slight preference for uconn i think of camp spencer is going to be enough of an addition but it's not it's not disservice to kyle's argument i love kyle's argument as well it's i just, am more pro uconn too my, i'm pro I was honestly more pro i know yeah no austin put a good debate together that i can't really argue like you can't argue shock of smarts tournament success really yeah can. no I, it, it wouldn't shock anybody it wouldn't shock anybody if and i've been very critical of him in the tournament like i picked against him in the second round of Michigan State. So, I mean, I'll be completely honest there, too. This was fun. Yeah. This was I'm, fun. I'm, I am the uh, first inaugural uh, Hoops Two Media the Scoop College Basketball Podcast debate champion. By a smidge. By a smidge. Yes. That that was that was a good debate. You had some uh, fun on both sides. Really, uh, really a competitive debate. It was. No, um, some definitely. quality There's content. Some really good debates there. Um yeah, oh, for sure. We'll have to clip some of them for sure and post them. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You maybe guys, maybe you guys, get the guys... uh, TikTok running. Ah, oh, TikTok would go hard. Hey, you guys, these you are really TikTokable clips here in this one. Oh, they are. You put some music underneath it. If you like, <laughs> it goes off on. <laughs> get some elevator music uh, elevator going. Music. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, on that TikTok note, make sure to follow all of our social media accounts. Subscribe to YouTube. Anything really helps us out, really uh, makes us grow more, really gets us heard. And if, if you like our content, there's for sure other people that do. Instagram, uh, at Hoopscoot Media. Twitter, at Hoopscoot Media. YouTube is, uh, I mean, Hoopscoot Media. Give us a five-star on if you're listening uh, via the podcast platforms. Um, this episode might have been more of a fun one to watch on YouTube, though, personally, with the oh, timer and oh. stuff. If, you, if you're listening on the podcast, feel free to check us out on YouTube as right. well. You got to see the timer, man. You got to yeah. see our beautiful faces. I'm really, I, I got the backdrop ready today. I had the Sixers, maybe even. <laughs> I'm same. I got my jersey. I, I, need, I need to, to think go. about my, my backdrop when I uh, move back down to college in a few weeks. I got to space true. it out. But, yeah. Start a mental picture of that, Austin. Start to think about calibrating that. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, 
Any other uh, notes before we release this one to the public? Kyle, I would say you get you you should get some kind of home like you should get some kind of home court advantage next 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 debate match because that was so close. I, I got like a lot of bad time and bad got time got topics <laughs> personally, but yeah, I bro. was just gonna put that excuse on the day. I actually have it out for you. I gave you the most difficult topics I possibly could. Yeah, so you know. I did. I was proud of you know how I did with some of them because I wasn't yeah. prepared like for Louisville's at all. Like I didn't yeah, think yeah, I. Won well, that. I mean, you won that one. <laughs> I didn't yeah. think I did. But, hey know. man, and um, we didn't think we didn't think Louisville. We didn't then again, do... Louisville has such low expectations. Could you possibly somehow do worse? If they actually do worse, like Kenny should be fired midseason. Like, <laughs> I, I do think Louisville improved. Like, I think Louisville improved to some extent, which is why I think there's it's hard not to right. Right. All right. Well, is uh, is that it? Any any more any more uh, notes, comments, questions? You're, concerns? If you're in the area of Kyle or me, or you're in the tri-state area, that East Coast, stay cool. It has been humid, like we said, for so long. Drink your it's water, brutal man. Nothing works out there. Okay? Everybody, be careful. We saw. Yeah, I saw. So a clip. I don't know if it was real. Somebody had a heat stroke performing a concert. Like there was a. I, it might not have been real. It might have been a TikTok that was capped. It wasn't really legit. But anyhow, take care of yourselves as you're as you're as you're working out and as you're playing basketball, whatever you may be doing. Look sure. out for each other. It's hot out there. Yeah. Well, on that note, we will see you next week.